Do you want to intro this one, Luke? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt Lifty Podcast. I'm your co-host, Luke, here with my host. <laughs> Passed it off to me at the last second. Carter, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? We're uh, we're kind of on a, uh, a thematic kick right now. I guess it's, it's on the mind currently. It's November, so it's oh, in yeah. the forefront of everybody's mind. It's that time of year, for sure. And, you know, speaking of which, fucking... Old John Ritter, Ron Jitter himself, just killed a, a public land, nice eight. He has just sent me a picture. So as soon as I hang up from this podcast, I'm going to head over there and help him get that thing caped out and butchered up. So pretty awesome. Yeah, that's exciting, man. Ron Jitter, the man. Dude, he's a hunting fool. He's way more dedicated to hunting public in Louisiana than I am. I've been fucking. <laughs> he is a hunting fool. Yeah. Which, but... uh. You know, kind of brings us. Let's make some introductions here. Brings us to our guest this week. Probably yeah, speaking of a, hunting fools. Yeah, we'll be a reoccurring guest on this podcast moving forward. But we got a uh, our team member Cody Rowe joining us from Indiana. What's going on, man? What's going on, brothers. Glad to uh, have you on here. Finally, pleasure to be here. Absolutely. <clears throat> I think uh, I think Cody and and John Ritter would get along just fine, Luke. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll call John to like talk about something with a hunt, and we'll be on the phone for an hour and a half, just just going. I feel like Cody's the same way, especially Absolutely. looking at that wall behind him right now. Got some fucking <laughs> booners up there. Got a couple. Got a couple. Well, cool. Why don't you introduce yourself, Cody? Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you got going on. Well, uh, Cody Rowe. I'm from Northwest Indiana. Uh, I've been hunting for about successfully for about 20 years. Uh, I've been doing it a, about as serious as I can for the last 10, um, on about five, six states a year if I can, multi-species, and just trying to make a living and stay as healthy as I can while doing it. Hell yeah. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely look the part of Hunt, Lift, Eat, Cody. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Definitely three of my favorite words. Yeah, I remember doing, we did your interview, what... I don't know. It seems like a year ago. I don't and I all blur together, honestly. But uh, I remember when you were on that call and it was like, oh, yeah, this guy's a no, no fucking brainer. Like you just eat, sleep, breathe everything we're about. So it's awesome to get you on the call and be able to chat with you. And um, you've had some some pretty awesome success, man. Let's let's just kind of wind it back. Uh, let's talk about your journey into hunting. You know, how'd you get into it? That, you know, you started 20 years ago, you said as a kid, you know, what did that right. look like? So my dad, uh, he got me into hunting really. And, uh, we live on a good property. Um, our property backs up to about a thousand acres of forest preserve, uh, surrounded by all kinds of different cornfields. And, you know, maybe I'd say about 20 miles North of the Kankakee river, it really grows some giants right on that belt line. And, uh, just always been able to find big sheds and kind of get a good head start at hunting from an early age. Uh, I'm a fourth generation hunter, all bow hunter. And, uh, that's about it where I started out. Hell yeah. When, uh, at what age were you when you started, you know, killing big deer, you know, like what did that look like? Uh, I got my first, uh, Indiana. It's not, I mean, giants cruise past you every year as far as my experience. So, uh, I guess we're I going to my... Indiana Carter. Oh, absolutely. Come on <laughs> out. I got yeah, I next year. <laughs> we're hanging out with Cody. Yeah, let's do it. My uh, second year hunting, um, I was actually using a, it was a H&R Brake Barrel 410, and that was when I killed my first. He was about 130-inch buck, but I mean, I, I 
thought it was the biggest buck I'd ever seen at the time and couldn't have been more happy and proud of it and kind of just progressed from there. A couple, couple mistakes that there's a little fog, fog on the scope a couple times, I suppose, but <laughs> try try to keep them bigger from there on out. Hell yeah. Yeah, I, re- I used to have one of those little brake barrel 410s. I wish I still had it. I'm going to get a couple of those for my kids. That's like the perfect you know, starter out, um, you know, a brake barrel. Even like the brake barrel rifles in that same, you know, model series are awesome because it's, you know, you, it's quick. You can identify was it loaded or not. Like it's the perfect. There's only one round. Like it's perfect for a kid getting started out with. Absolutely. What are the weapons laws like in Indiana as a state I've never hunted in? Indiana is pretty, uh, depending on where you're at. So we, I live in a reduction zone because I'm, I'm in a more urban area. So, uh, Northwest Indiana has a lot of reduction zone where you can hunt from September 15th until January 31st. And, um, I only use, I only do archery the whole time, but I'm pretty sure you can use basically whatever you want from shotgun, muzzleloader, crossbow in a reduction zone all year. So they're really trying to you know, take them numbers down a little bit. So you get two bucks and uh, we can basically fill out on does. I think it's something like six does this year. Oh, hell yeah. No rifles. I personally uh, don't use rifles um, just because I like to kind of be silent to the rest. I don't want to traumatize my herd. You know what yep. I mean? So I yep. like to, when I'm out food plots, I only, I only use my bow and, um, I, I'll use it for predator, you know, termination all day long. So. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That was something that I didn't learn until later. I was actually in uh, Fort Campbell, which is right on the Tennessee, middle Tennessee, Kentucky line, just North of Nashville there. And that was the first state I hunted in where you couldn't hunt where on post. You couldn't hunt with a rifle. Um, so it was just shotgun, muzzleloader and archery. And that was actually what prompted me to get into archery about, what was that? 2016, I think got home from Afghanistan and wanted to, I missed a hunting season. I was like, I got to jump in full bore and bought a muzzleloader, bought a shotgun and bought a, <laughs> bought a, uh, a bow and ended up killing my first deer with a bow. And just, there's just something different about bow hunting. Like I still hunt with a rifle, especially out West. Um, but when you kill a deer with a bow, like it's just, you're so much closer, more intimate. It's just a different experience, like across the board. Absolutely. I feel like it's, uh, it's definitely coded in our, in our DNA, you know, yeah, for yeah, sure. Something you have to do, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What has um what has prep looked like for you, Cody? I know you you have your hands in a lot of different properties and you go to a diff- a lot of different states and it kind of seems like almost a full-time job with how much running and and running around that you do. Um what what does prep look like for you like year round? Say we're starting you know, this past January, right? I would, I would venture a guess that your success this season, you know, is constant. As soon as this season's over, you're thinking about the next one, right? So what does that kind of look like for you? Uh, yes, sir. So as soon as uh, my tags are full, I basically wait for the antlers to fall off. Um, the only thing I love more than hunting whitetail, you know, in during season is looking for their sheds right after. Uh, that's basically when I do most of my, you know, gather most of my information, everything. I do my investigation and, uh, I've come across uh, a lot of public land. Um, I meet a lot of people. I just do some networking here and there and try to get whatever information I can and 
try to take it. I try to do it all, you know, on my own. I don't like to really be a, uh, relying on anybody else for anything, but I definitely from January to, uh, to April, I shed hunt. I look for bedding areas. I mean, I look for main highways and trails, core areas, try to find, I start looking for my target buck, basically, you know, 365 days a year. So you're early on trying to identify your, your Megatron or whoever you're looking for. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When you're looking for sheds, does that help you identify, um, bedding areas? I have not had a lot of phenomenal success with shed hunting other than like when I'm squirrel hunting, uh, and I come across sheds conveniently. Right. I've, well, since I, um, like I said, I can basically start from my house. Um, my property backs up to some really good areas. I got permission. I've, I've lived in my house for, you know, my whole life. So I have permission from all the neighbors to the South. We're all a pretty good community. And, um, basically I just check, uh, bedding areas in between food sources. Uh, running water is always nice. I mean, I've, I found them. I always look for water and then sign from water to bedding area, food coverage, uh, crossways, all that stuff. I mean, Last year was probably my 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 best shed season yet. So kind hold that getting... sh- hold that shed up again. This, <laughs> uh, this is... I'm after him. He's got some brow tines and some some split G twos and a couple cool stuff going on. And this one is uh that's another deer I'm after this year. Pictures don't really do him justice. I mean, I'm not I'm not the smallest, but I couldn't really get my hand around that if I tried. So that kind of keeps me excited and keeps my, keeps my motivation up all summer. So I don't really lose sight of it. You know, then I got something to look at until it's time to check cameras and get after it. That's badass, man. When you and I started talking back in May. I was like picking your brain a little bit about some of your summer prep. And, uh, what are you, what are you doing in the summer? Are you, you're thinking about food plots. You're thinking about minerals. You're thinking about, so I, I, I definitely started, um, the minute I, I put out mineral minerals as soon as it's legal, depending on what state, um, you know, I hate to say it, but Ohio and Kentucky are some of my favorite states for that because there's a lot of, you know, they do the bait thing. Well, that grows a lot of big bucks. I mean, people don't get them all. It's kind of like a Jeff Sturgis thing, OPB, other people's bucks. That's some of my favorite, hate to say it. Uh, <laughs> So if you can, um, if you find a good, you know, a good core area, you know, look at basically a 10, 10 square mile plot and you can, uh, kind of figure out, you know, where they're going from there and everything in the summertime, basically I do, I do minerals and I do watering holes. Uh, I try, I just stay out. I low pressure, um, low intrusion on all my stuff. Uh, I like, I like chip cameras instead of a cell camera because I, I see a lot of big bucks staring right at my cell cam. So as opposed to, you know, some of the HD night ops cameras they got that are just chip, I mean, they do pretty good. So in, in the summertime, I really just try to stay out of their bedding area and not spook them too much, but keep an eye on them at the same time. Oh, yeah. Let's, uh, you killed, a, was it two years ago or last year? Uh, you killed that real last, big one. Let's yes, let's, uh, let's hear about let's hear that buck, man. That's that was a stud. Let's let's get the kind was, of the backstory on him and how big he was and how that whole hunt ended up unfolding. Okay, that so that's basically um, that was the one that made her made her broke me right there. Um, I hunted him for three seasons. Uh, the first season he was real easy to pass. Um, he came in as a as a mainframe twelve point. He maybe had you know nothing real crazy going on. 
And uh, that's when I really figured out the importance of minerals after shed season. He put on at least, you know, maybe 60, 70 inches in one, in one season. He was just, uh, he was a 190 in 2022 or 2021. Sorry. He was, uh, I was hunting him as a 19.190 and um, he was a monster, but he wouldn't, he would never daylight for me. So I passed up. Uh, that's why I had quite a few big bucks the next year. Um, I was passing up everything I saw. And uh, I ended up eating tag soup on them that year. Uh, I put in about 40 sits in 2021. And then uh, I finally got one summertime picture of him the next year. And he had just, he had just exploded. I mean, he's got 23 scorable points. He's got that, you know, he's got this drop time here that's, you know, sit almost 14 inches long. So I basically put every, all my energy and resources and really, figured if i was gonna hunt deer this is the one that i'm gonna hunt so after that Hell season yeah. ended that first time did you uh have a little anxiety that somebody else had killed him until you had to wait for that summer picture absolutely there's uh to the south of the property there are um questionable hunters and uh they're they they've been at it a lot longer than i have so when they thought had the idea of the youngest hunter in the group kind of taking them out they didn't like that so he was very pressured. Um, everybody in town knew about this deer from, I'd hear about him all summer. And every time I'd hear someone shot a big buck, I'd be knocking on doors, trying to get pictures of it. I mean, it was to say I was obsessed is a, uh, understatement. What did you, uh, I like that you name all your bucks. This is a classic whitetail move. What was this guy's name? So we named him Christmas tree. Um, the first time he came out, he had snow all over his antlers and he just looked like you know, just like a Christmas tree, something out of a book. So me and my buddy, he kind of jumped the gun and beat me to it. And he said, Christmas tree, and it stuck. And uh, when I ended up taking him the following season, that's ex- he stayed true to his name. That's absolutely how he was. He had he was holding a couple inches of snow on his rack from the webbing. That's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> how the how that, you know, that final sit and that interaction with him, how did that all turn out? And Like what was, you know, your strategy? How did you get set up? What did all that look like? So he he was on a um, it's about a where where he owned the only place I ever saw him. He only showed up three times in the entire in the entire season. The third time is when is when he daylighted and I got him. Um, basically, he was on a five acre plot that was at the very back of our property and everything. And he would only come through once in a very rare occasion. And uh just holding out for him. I mean, there was all kinds of mega bucks and everything that would pass by. And, you know, I was always hoping he would come through. And one day, uh, the first snow of the season, I had two or three booners and I basically gave up to him. I was on my 40th sit. Um, I'd sit from sunrise to sunset. Cause I mean, that's everybody's dream is a 200 inch deer. And, uh, eventually he, um, I got pictures of him at a neighboring property and I thought for sure that neighbor was going to get him And, November 16th, he, uh, it was, we got about two inches of snow and he came in with the snow on his rack and right before about an hour before dark and I was getting ready to pack up and head out of the stand and there he was. Hell yeah. How far away what was phase? he when you shot him? Yeah. What's that? How far away was he when you shot him? Oh, he was, he, he came right up on me, maybe 20 yards. Oh, that's perfect. Was, right when I, I was starting to, you know, put my lower my bow down from the stand and everything and he came up when 
he was already ready to dip when I released the arrow. I mean, he was on his way. I was perfectly broadside and he turned and I just nicked his jugular. And that's how that went. So <laughs> it was al- it was almost uh it was almost a real sad story. Oh man. <laughs> man, that is that's that's incredible. That's awesome. What did he end up uh measuring at? So he went 205 uh non-typical that's what he grossed and uh nets are for fishing but you know there's been <laughs> that's been a little controversy controver- buck masters and different expos i suppose it depended on what was at stake but uh when i had a buck master scored for uh field and stream he was 205 hell yeah man that's incredible that's i mean you guys got big deer out there but i mean that's a that's maybe a once in a lifetime that's fucking that's incredible cool. he's a stud uh, very blessed yeah, absolutely indiana is definitely a sleeper state that's for sure yeah it doesn't get a, the press that you know iowa obviously and even illinois uh gets but i mean it's the same you know general topography they've got you know the cornfields you've got all that feed and then with the management systems and that are in place that a lot of folks are doing these days like i mean even in kentucky is another sleeper state um there's some really big deer that's been killed out of kentucky recently it just doesn't get the press that you know those other ones do absolutely kentucky's my uh haven't pulled anything uh no megas out of there yet it's a bit of a heartbreak state for me but definitely uh definitely working on it one of my favorite places to hunt by far what are you about to ask megas relative, you. yeah that megas one killed relative. this year is good we'll, we'll get to that in a second <laughs> um why did he daylight cody what was he doing like what phase of november was he in that was causing him to daylight it was it was definitely the snow that got him up um i believe that his core bedding area was uh it was within six hours of daylight you know sunrise so he would start heading back from his his rut area where he's chasing does and everything and it would take him about six hours from wherever he was to get back to our property so this day it snowed he he definitely left early because i never he'd, he'd show up you know 9 p.m., 10 p.m., I mean, lost causes. So it was like I went out the went out for a, a lesser buck that was showing up and was finally just going to fill my tag before it was too late, before the rut was over, and lo and behold, he showed up. Do you have a, uh, do you have like a magic date or date range in November where you're like, this is it, this is money? Absolutely. Uh, Any time from November, for me anyway, November 8th until the 16th has always been when if I don't have my target buck down by the 16th of November, I kind of start worrying a little bit. That's what Luke was just saying yesterday. Actually, you gave that date range too, Luke. Yeah. Yeah. That's when for most of the country, that's, that's the sweet spot for sure. When you can start getting down South or super far North, it, it gets a little wonky, but uh, down South, especially. It's what's weird, like where I'm at in Louisiana, it's it's real weird because you could be 25 miles away from where I'm at now and they rut completely different at a different time than they do right here where I am. But no, that's that's badass. Absolutely. So this season, Nick, man. Yeah, what what are we what do we got going on this season, man? You've already you're crushing it already. This season I, I've had some pretty good uh I got some pretty good luck. I had uh real short sits for, for both my out of state tags and 
definitely planned on took a lot more time off work than I had planned. So I had some extra days to work on my, uh, my home property and everything, but, uh, went up to Southern Indiana or Southern Michigan and I got a pretty decent buck for up there. I got the biggest out of the herd that I saw that day. And I was more than satisfied with that. Just, uh, I, I basically run out of stakes and everything in the summertime. So I can't wait to fill my first tag. And so between, uh, Michigan and then, uh, like you said, with the rut setting on late and everything, I didn't, um, at my home farm here in Indiana, I had just hadn't had the same movement that I've had in years past. I think it was cause the, the weather change and, you know, we kind of had a bit of a drought here in my area this year and just a real late set on with, I mean, it was 65 degrees here today. That's kind of a little off, you know? So this year I went down to Kentucky, tried to get it done early. And I saw, I mean, I saw deer movement from the minute I sat in the, in my stand and everything. I, I barely got set up and I had one of my target bucks come through and you know, sent the arrow, sealed the deal, and couldn't have been happier to get back and try to get it done up here. Michigan's a state that doesn't get a huge positive rap for <clears throat> big bucks, right? Oh, I know some giants in Michigan. Right, but isn't the, I feel like the uh, stereotype is guys are up there shooting, you know, every dink that they see in, in Michigan. I don't know if that's true at all. It's not based on anything I know personally, but that's what I feel like I hear. That's definitely very true. They have uh, one of the highest, highest out of state hunters and the highest public land uh, numbers is, is from what I, from the research I did this year. And um, the deer, they really, they're almost like Saskatchewan deer. Uh, when they're in that cold all year and when the, the foliage and everything, it, it kind of, it's got its certain palatability time in the summertime and going into the fall and everything when they can really gain nutrition. And it really creates this big body, kind of small, massy antler type, you know, type of deer as opposed to where Indiana, I'm really in the sweet spot right above Kankakee because uh, of the Kankakee River there. Kentucky, all the deer I've hunted had real big antlers. And they just don't have the same winter, so they're not holding their fat like they do, you know, in Indiana and everything. So that fat is what I think really grows the buck in every way, shape, or form when he's not searching for those specific nutrients. Yeah, when you sent me that picture, man, I was like, holy cow, the body on this thing. Because the deer Luke and I hunt back home, where Luke's from and where I'm from, well, you've got some big ones on your property too, Luke, but some of these Appalachian deer are just not as big bodied man and when you sent me that thing you were like yeah he's a decent buck i was like holy shit dude that thing's a, a cow that's 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 huge great sometimes they uh you i got lucky and i got a uh, two seasons ago i got a unicorn buck and uh field dressed we finally decided to weigh him and everything and with his head but completely field dressed he was over 300 pounds holy <laughs> cow so that Is was that Evan killed a good, just killed a good buck up at our place, and it was 188, not field dressed, so on the hoof, and yeah, that's crazy. That's my, uh, I got some cousins that always go to, they have a lease in Kansas, and they go out there, and my cousin's wife killed one that looks like a fucking cow several years ago. Like, she's laying next to it. She's not a big girl anyways, but, I mean, <laughs> it looked like she shot a cow. That thing had to have been around 300, too. Like, they just, I mean, it's them corn-fed deer, they just got so many more calories than if they're eating you know, primarily grass and acorns. So that's awesome. Oh, absolutely. What are you running for your 
like your stand setups with so many different properties in different states? Are you leaving permanent stands or are you like a mobile guy? What are you doing? Oh, I, I definitely do what I can. I'm a big Walmart shopper as far as stuff like that goes. Um, I buy whatever stand I can comfortably sit in for a couple hours. I mean, I got all kind. I love Elevate stands just because they're, I can basically carry it out with me and, uh, you know, not trying to throw a pitch for them or nothing, but uh, absolutely most lightweight material and I don't have to worry about falling through. I've fallen out of a stand before just because I set it up in the beginning of the year. Um, there must have been uh, some dry rot or something. I came back to sit and it wasn't too good. So I make sure to uh, pick the right stands these days. And um, I personally love hunting out of a ground blind. Um, when I go to draw back my bow, I, I always get looked at and that's just a, you know, it, I can draw back slow, whatever, but I, I'm always in the wrong position when, you know, the deer don't normally, sometimes they don't follow the rules, you know, (laughs) that's, dude, I, I, I feel that so much. I watch these videos where these guys have these monster bucks in front of them and they're like, the cameraman's moving around. They're like, Oh my God, they're like communicating. And the guy pulls and I'm like, that's never happened to me. Like I like move just to shift so I can get in position and right. you know, busted. I'm always like, where, where are you guys hunting at? <laughs> Luke still has some heartbreak over uh, a 10 pointer oh yeah, that happened to him a couple years ago. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. That one was rough. Evan ended up killing him the next year and he fell off a cliff. He was way smaller, but no, that's uh that's awesome. Uh, what, so you're doing, are you hunting primarily public or are you doing a mix on when you're, especially when you're traveling? I know you got a blended set there uh, at your kind of homestead, but when you're hitting these States, do you have leases set up or is it just knock on door access? What's that all? So in, um, I, my family always had farms down in Kentucky. So I, I hunt the Kentucky farms down there. Uh, I live real close to the Illinois state line. So I just got a lot of friends and family. Um, same in Michigan. My buddy said he had a couple of deer that were, he owns a two acre plot and I mean, he didn't go 20 yards. So it definitely was a, was a done deal up there. So I take, I take whatever I can get. I look for, for a big mature buck sign. Um, I love public. I like the the challenge of public. I've only sealed the deal on one public land buck, but that's because I, I didn't see any of my, you know, target bucks I was out there after. But uh, I have seen some absolute monsters on public in Kentucky and in Indiana. So I am definitely not afraid to go try to set up a stand. Um, I have had I have gone out to my stand after I uh, blow dry my or, uh, blow all the leaves off my path into the woods and found somebody in my stand before. So that's definitely a little bit of a deterrent in Indiana. He was perfectly legal to do so, and uh, I I was actually harassing him. <laughs> so <laughs> so there you go. So I kind of don't like that factor but uh you can find some really good spots on public if you're willing to put in the put in the ruck and get a little farther out than some of the old timers and some of the some of the newcomers you can definitely find some some giants on public yeah public is definitely rewarding and i love the fact that we have it but it gets frustrating you know when because at a certain point it stops becoming about you and the animal and it starts becoming about you and the other hunters and you're having to adjust based on that pressure. And that's a whole tactic in and of itself. Like you're saying, you know, go into the places and you can, you can do your e-scouting and look, okay, this is, this looks great. 
this looks like it's got good access, so it's probably going to be heavily pressured. So right. if, they're, if that's heavily pressured, what's that going to do? The deer movement, you can like play that whole chess game. It's just another variable, but it is real nice when you can remove the variable of some some guy. I mean, we've talked about it at nauseum at this point, but I've had, especially out west, I've had some real pain in the ass experiences on public and. It's kind of a double-edged sword. It's really in vogue. Everybody's wants to talk solely about public, but man, when you, when you can hunt a property that doesn't have deer that are just abnormally on key, it's not like the deer are out there just screaming, shoot me, right? The big bucks are big for a reason. You know, they're, they're really savvy. They, they're, they're still a tough critter to hunt, but they're just, there's another level of keyed in. Like when I was hunting Fort Campbell, I was watching this doe move in and she would take three steps and she was looking up and she was looking like for, for stands, for stands in wow. the trees. Like I'd never seen anything like it. Um, I wish I'd filmed it. I, I wasn't filming back then. And like, it was, she would take three steps and then look and scan looking up three steps. And I was like, what is going on? And they just, they, they get to learn that shit. She was a, a old nanny who got old for a reason, right? She's savvy and uh, identified that shit. So she blew me for sure. She was, she was gone. <laughs> She, I was bow hunting and, and she came, she got to about 65 and then she scanned and saw my tree and I was wearing orange cause it was in a, I was bow hunting in a shotgun area and yeah, she phew, gone. I was like, well, <laughs> now will you take some does Cody or are you, uh, you oh, yes. yeah, you will. Uh, they, uh I, you know, you can't eat the antlers, that's for sure. And some of these bucks that I end up getting, I mean, uh, Dozer, you know, the one that I said was 300 plus, he was probably a six or a seven year old buck. And, um, I mean, he did, he tasted like a six or a seven year old buck, you know? So I, I definitely have a separate spot for my doe meat as opposed to my, uh, rutting buck meat. Mm. So I love, uh, I love taking some does. My problem with taking does is um, just genetics. I try to manage and everything, and a lot of people don't know. I mean, 80% of the genetics of the buck come from the mother. Mm. So, I mean, I didn't like to believe that until, you know, all the all of our does were disappearing and we weren't seeing any traits carrying out. And ever since we kind of only, you know, take it easy on one property with doe for about two or three years and harvest them from specified doe properties, you know. I know everybody doesn't get it, have it like that, but... You know, it's kind of what we try to do. Just uh, we're more motivated by the headgear, I suppose. But when um when do you like to take does? That's been not a point of contention, but a conversation going on recently in the in the southeast region chat recently. Some people, I I believe, if there's a doe in front of you in in November, then you got a live decoy. That's kind of what I think. And then some people are saying, you know, go ahead and shoot them. And then there's less does around for the bucks to check. I don't know. What are, what are your kind of thoughts on that? When do you like to shoot them? I like to shoot them right at the end of the rut. Um, I, From what I've noticed, some of the younger younger does are, are uh, more receptive to breeding. Um, when the matriarch does kind of get older, those are the ones that we kind of take out. Uh, the young ones are more active. They're going to provide a healthier birth a healthier fawn so what we do is you know try what i do personally is kind of try to take the older does um at the end of the rut i don't like to you know that could have been bred by him or something you know what i mean one of my something i want to keep the bloodline going for 
I don't, I won't shoot a uh, fawn with their mothers. I don't, I don't blame people that do. I mean, meat is meat and it is what it is. You know what I mean? So I don't knock nobody for nothing, but if I could, uh, prolong, you know what I mean? That as long as I can keep the herd healthy, that's basically right at the end of the rut, right when all the ticks fall off. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's something we've started doing. You know, when I was younger growing up, shot a lot of does, shot a lot of young does, not really knowing what I was doing and not being able to judge size well. And now as we've been a lot more selective, one, with the bucks that we're shooting, and then two, with the, you know, we'll still kill does and we try to remove because we have a ton of those and the buck to doe ratio is just very skewed where I'm from. And so we we like to remove a lot, Uh, but just shooting those more mature ones definitely makes, I think it makes a difference on the overall health of the herd. And then also it's just significantly more meat you know that an old nanny will have a just it's a night and day difference if you kill a you know five and a half year old doe versus a two and a half year old doe like it's just not a comparison when you're pulling those back straps out i like that you have a a philosophy and a process for every aspect cody I, i appreciate that you as soon as we started talking man you got you have a well thought out reasoning for why you do what you do. I appreciate that. I feel like not everybody, wherever they are in their hunting career, and it may not be any fault of their own. Like Luke was saying, I didn't know shit. Still don't really know anything, but, um, (laughs) through trial and, and learning, like you've really taken to the study and you kind of crafted this philosophy on why you do what you do. Yes, sir. It's, well, it's definitely a, uh, uh, life passion and no lesson comes cheap, especially when, I've hung up the bow and said I'm never, never taking it off that hook again. Plenty of times, <laughs> I've said that about hunting plenty of times. There's days where you're just like, "This sucks." <laughs> oh but, yeah. yeah, something just keeps pulling us back in, man. It, it is. It's an addiction, and it's more expensive than fucking cocaine. Oh, it's <laughs> big time, big time. Definitely, adrenaline's most expensive uh, feeling there is for sure. How uh how bad was your adrenaline dump after you shot Christmas tree? I threw up a couple times. <laughs> I, I I threw up a couple times. I I got my composure. I called my dad and called my uncles, and it was just surreal. I was uh all kinds of shaky. He didn't go more than thirty yards. I didn't hear a crash or nothing. And uh, like I said, the uh, you know I, I I fire a Montec out of the uh, PSE and everything, so it's it's a straight arrow. And I mean, it's stuck into the ground clean as could be. There was not, there was no speck of blood on it. So I, my world, uh, started getting black clouds real quick and everything. And, uh, started following down the trail. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, someone was misting a bottle, you know, with a blood spray or something. And I went way out past them and couldn't find any blood and started thinking the worst and came back towards my stand. And there he was. Oh man definitely a relief after after sitting on them for 40 sits and eating mcchickens and <laughs> every everything i could for the month to try to save as much money as possible and you know selling motorcycles but i wouldn't trade one i wouldn't trade one thing that feeling is the worst in the world when you shoot a deer and you feel like you're not going to find it oh there's yep <laughs> It definitely, uh, it definitely would be a different conversation right now if, uh, <laughs> if that wouldn't happen. So luckily, Carter, uh, 
Carter says that with us not having killed anything close to 205 inches. So like, yeah. you take that and you just exponentially compound it by a hundred, you know, like the idea of not being able to, you know, having the opportunity finally. And then it being like, and that's just like, God, that's just such a, a representation of what this is. And it's just, it comes down to like just a hair, you know, and everything went wrong, but you still nicked a main artery and he bled out and like it just it can you know a lot of times it doesn't happen everything goes wrong and you just miss or everything you know so just it's just cool that it all ended up working out and i was i was talking to a guy the other day and uh in a camp i was in and he uh he hit one in the back of the leg and it just i don't remember i think he hit a branch or it was it was a western hunt he hit sage and so it hit the sage the arrow deflected and it hit an elk in the hind quarter, but it hit that major, it hit his femoral that comes down in his groin. And so he ended up bleeding out really quickly. And it's like, not where he was aiming, but you know, the arrows in the air, you got a chance. So absolutely. That's how I'd like to go out. <clears throat> yep. Same. <laughs> Fast. Yeah. That's not a bad deal. Yeah. How'd you, uh, how'd you end up killing that Kentucky one, man? What was the setup there? Uh, that was, uh, so I've been, uh, like I said, I try to do share my knowledge. I mean, I get to talking to people and sometimes people kind of, we work out deals. I kind of help them get the biggest buck on their property. And, um, if, if they like me and, uh, if I'm good enough, sometimes I ask for the second or third biggest buck on the property. And, uh, that's exactly what that was. I knew that there was one bigger, but he, he daylights very, very more rarely. I mean, there's an absolute couple of giants down there and uh it's a about a 500 acre cow farm and uh it's in the mountains just south of the mississippi river i mean just right into kentucky there so you got all those southern illinois giants when they start traveling and you know all that so i basically set up on him he i saw him on camera the night before that he was daylighting that day uh, went down. I already had the stand set up, and it was in a CRP field right in between two cornfields. And he he came out an hour after sunrise. Was that the one where it was uh that that one made you a little nervous? I know we were texting about one of your bucks. The recovery was not fun. Yes, absolutely. The hunt itself was fun, but the recovery uh, couldn't have been worse. He decided to. Uh, I hit him good. I mean, I, it was a, it was a hard shot through and through. I mean, but, uh, he made a, all the right moves to not bleed where I could see it. And of course I decided to not watch him completely. Cause I assumed he went down where he went down and that was it. I took my eyes off him and that is not where he went down. So after, a, after, uh, getting a hold, uh, there's so much vast land after I figured out who was the property owner that lived next to my uncle down there i finally got a hold of him and it was a done deal after that i was getting nervous for you man i was like god i hope he finds that deer i appreciate that very much <laughs> glad you care i was <laughs> for sure definitely more than nervous on it so sometimes it's better and i know you feel this way too because you help a lot of people kill big deer and that's one thing i love about you but um, sometimes you get more excited for other people being successful too. You know what I mean? Oh, that's my favorite thing right there. I've helped a lot of people get on their first year. And, uh, most of the time by the second or third year, I try to get them on a nice buck depending on, you know, their property and everything and growing the herd. But that is definitely, if I, you know, it kind of helps that I have uh, a buck that 
is definitely the buck of a lifetime for me personally. I mean, I'm satisfied. So from this point out, helping people get their deer is, it's definitely just as good of a feeling. Yeah, it's so rewarding kinda... when you can help teach people. Like, it's just, there's nothing like it when you're there, when somebody can cl- seal the deal. Like, I was there with Perry with his first antelope uh, on this last antelope hunt. And then he was there for when I killed uh, mine. But it's just, when we started hunting antelope together several years ago, it was just, I don't know, it's just nothing like it when you're just sitting there and need all that energy. Like, I, I think you, you absorb more of it when you're standing next to the person. Honestly, it's just badass. Oh, absolutely. Buck fever is definitely contagious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. When when Cole killed his first <clears throat> couple deer with me, he actually killed two bucks the first day he ever went hunting with me, one in the morning and then one in the evening. And I was like, this doesn't happen often, all right? So the, the, don't get carried away here and be expecting this every single time because it's not going to be the case. Um but it's just the greatest feeling in the world when you can watch someone else be successful and watch him, you know, blood trail and find walk up on it himself and like kind of be removed from the situation a little bit. Uh, man, there's nothing like it. Especially watching someone else drag it. Nothing like it. <laughs> <laughs> when he killed his antelope, I was like, Perry went over to help him. I was like, he can carry it himself. He can do it. <laughs> I love yeah, it. That's that's me rubbing off on you. <laughs> it is. It does build it does. character. Yeah, you have to. I was Evan taught like I was Evan was with me when I killed my first deer, and I killed a, shot a doe, and then when we went up to her, saw another one, shot her, and that one I was still amped from the first one, and so I gut shot the second one. So I got a good tutorial on a, a good clean shot and then a poor shot and on gutting them, and I was like asking Evan for help. He's like, I'm not fucking helping you. I'll tell you what to do, but you're getting in there and doing it. <laughs> He's like, you'll learn not to gut shoot these damn things. I was, and sure enough, try not to do that. Not fun. No, that is not fun. That is definitely one of my least favorite smells on this planet. So, yep. Yeah, I couldn't imagine a gut shot antelope. Antelopes stink when you don't shoot them in the guts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll have to get you out west for uh, antelope hunt, Cody. Oh, I'd love it. Absolutely. Although you probably want to chase him with a bow, man. I don't have the patience for that. Yeah, that's I've I've thought about that plenty of times. I guess I, you know, like I said, there ain't nothing. I'm I'm out of my home state and out of my element. I'll try I'll try anything once, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I would recommend getting your first one done with a rifle and then and then get that out of the way. And then if you want to go chase him with a bow, they just there's certain properties where it's doable where you gotta sit in the ground blind, fucking sitting on water. And the ground blind, ninety fucking degree. I just don't. If I'm hunting antelope, I want to be on the move, and it there it's doable to spot and stalk them with a bow. But there's gonna be a lot of fucking crawling through cactus, blown stalks. I hunted them with a muzzleloader for in Colorado. It's open sight only, so you're trying to get sub one fifty, and that's hard as hell. Um, so, but dudes, do I'll it. I'll definitely take your take your advice on that one, hundred percent. Don't want yeah. to go ace. Ace Ventura style or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, we'll get you one on the ground, and then we'll start chasing them with bows. I do want to kill one with a bow. I think it'd be badass. I, I don't think I have the patience to sit in a fucking ground blind for four days, hoping one goes to water during the daylight. Oh, I definitely uh, four days doesn't seem so bad after. The after difference is of- the the temperature when it's the inside of the internal temp of the ground blinds ninety eight degrees, <laughs> just oh, baking yeah. in that sun. It's wow. fucking brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. I, I, 
cold. I don't like that heat so much. Yeah. August in, in Wyoming or Colorado on the plains is pretty rough. Not a lick of shade anywhere. I uh, so, I know we've been talking a lot about scrapes, and I've been texting you about a couple of the properties I hunt, Cody, and uh, you've been giving me advice on how to set up on some of these bucks on these properties that I haven't been on in two years because we have our farm here, but I sold the back part of it this year. So I'm trying to think of plan B and C now that I don't have that. And I was, uh, I was on, uh, MSU's deer lab website, came across an article by them, Mississippi state. They've done a ton of research on scrapes. I went down a rabbit hole after you and I were talking and came across a couple figures here that I found, I found really interesting, but they ran a, uh, a test and they were saying the average bucks per like active scrape that you find is 12, like 12 bucks will use a single scrape. And that blew my mind. Oh, absolutely. Uh, from my, that's my favorite way to get inventory right there is an active scrape, uh, find a good looking licking branch. And from what I've seen, I mean, even does will come hit it, but basically every, every buck in the forest pretty much wants to, wants to get their two cents into that scrape. Yeah, I found that fascinating. They even broke it down percentage-wise by age class. And it was like the two-and-a-half-year-olds are about 40% of the activity there, three-and-a-half, 20%. And then, you know, the the four-and-a-half and olders, they're about 9%. So I guess they're wised up and not checking it all the time, right? Which makes sense, right? The statistics make sense, but I found that really fascinating. Right. I've, I've found they're much harder to fool Sometimes uh, you can get a uh, from a mock scrape to a real scrape is a, a big world of difference. I mean, you some of them big uh, they they get nothing but smarter every year. I mean, they're you know kind of sounds obvious to say, but they're deer three hundred and sixty five days a year. You know what I mean? Okay. So they're they're looking out first during the season. You know they got predators and everything else. So from what I found, uh, just like a big matriarch doe, I mean, they're you cannot fool their nose. Sometimes you get lucky. Cause a big buck will want to believe you cause he wants to breed and all that. And that's, that's about how it goes, but definitely one of the smartest animals out there. You think that's part of your fascination with them? Oh, definitely. I mean, I got, I could, uh, give you an entire list of reasons. I, I just think that, you know, it's like out of, out of all the, uh, every, everything that that's hauntable, nothing's is, to me personally, you know, I could see a whole herd of deer one year on my property and all main mainframe typicals and everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, depending on the rain and everything, they start throwing kickers and drop tines. And I mean, it's, it's just very fascinating. Fastest growing bone in nature, really, you know. Do you like the crazy looking ones or are you, you prefer the typicals or? I'm a non, I had my, I had my share of typicals. So I, I'm definitely a non-typical guy now. There was a long time when, uh, the gene just, uh, I mean, we had big, you know, big bucks and everything, but this last year, I mean, even with, when it comes to sheds, um, since I've been supplementing, you know, mineral and everything, they just, they like to throw junk, you know, from, from holes in the horns to kickers and drop tines. I mean, this, the last three years have really been outstanding. I'm definitely a fan of the non-typical, so. Yeah, I'm right there with you. There's just something so unique, you know, and when they start throwing all that trash, like, you know, that's the only buck that looks like that, you know, and, and it's just, it's, 
it's really fucking cool. There's some crazy genetics on uh, Fort Fort Campbell. I'll send you a couple pictures. There's one that my sergeant major killed that is the trashiest buck I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. I've shown you that one, right, Carter? Yeah. Yeah, that it's it's wild. Like his his bases are like the size of a damn saucer plate. Like it's yes. it's wild, and it's just trash coming out from there. It's it's a wild looking buck, but it's just cool because they're just they're so unique and whitetails. Like mule deer will throw, uh, you know, drop tines and stuff, but not like what whitetails will do. Right. Have you hunted any other species, or have you pretty much just been whitetail? So I hunt everything that's within my within my states, and uh, I mean, basically what I can afford and what I can eat. I try to, you know, only hunt what I eat and eat what I kill and all that. So within reason, um, like I said, I don't knock any other hunters or anything. I've just never been a fan of uh, waterfowl and everything like that. I like a little more um, meat to what I'm what I'm hunting and everything and put my time into. But uh, as far as big game goes, uh, definitely only only uh, whitetails. Hell yeah, we'll definitely get you out west, man. We'll we'll set something up for next year. We have some pretty cool opportunities uh, in the works and some cool relationships. So we'll get you try to get you on antelope or mule deer hunt for sure. I'm down for. I'd be honored. I'm down for anything. Hell yeah, you're a hell of a fisherman too, man. Yeah, it definitely is a way to uh, stop thinking about the deer for a minute. Had to figure something. out. Y'all catching <laughs> salmon up there? Have I seen pictures yeah. of salmon? Yeah, we caught uh, quite a few on uh, in between the shores of Chicago this year. Probably uh, next couple of days here, um, my buddy went up to Michigan City Lighthouse. He's been catching the Lakers. Um, I've had some pretty good deer showing up, so I've kind of been trading in my salmon days for for the whitetail days here this this season. And everything and resting when I can and letting them rest when I can. So, what's the rest of the season look like for you, man? Uh, I love as as far as whitetails go. Um, I love ha- hunting the uh, the late season. I mean, um, sometimes the late season is when deer that you know they deer that you don't see, you haven't seen all year, maybe you don't know them. That's the time when a mega giant shows up. Um, I get a new mega giant every basically every December, and you know at the end of January you really get to see who survived and all that. So normally, if I get a pretty good buck that. I know isn't peaked out and he's not on the decline. And if he makes it halfway through January, I'll, I'll bet on him for the next year. You know what I mean? And try to try to grow him up and all that. But if I got a target buck and you know, I've been very uh, picky with my tags this year, you know, ever since um I got a pretty good one last year. So it's like, you know, it is what it is. I shoot the does for meat and I eat them. And if I happen to see a good buck, I'll take them. And if not, then that's just fine too. When you're trying to hunt horns late season in December timeframe, what does that strategy looks look like? I mean, because that's it's kind of a mixed bag. I haven't had any luck uh, once December hits, but I know there's a lot of guys that have some pretty good success there because their patterns are different and they're shifting. They're hitting food more as they're recovering from the rut. They daylight to eat more. Like, what's what are your tactics look like? In Indiana, we got a lot of uh, soy, soybean, and cornfields um, at our at our home property. There, that's what our main food plots are. We got some winter turnips and some winter beets and all that, um, alfalfa and some uh, honeysuckle and all that stuff. Uh, basically, I, I hunt the food after the rut. Um, we got real big bucks up here that wear themselves down chasing does. I mean, they'll be 
50 pounds down from what they were by the time the rut ends, you know, so they're really trying to build that back up. We get long winters through here. Uh, last, last Christmas, it was negative 20 on Christmas wind chill here, you know, in Chicago and everything. So we get the windy city, all that, all that weather and everything. So they're really, they're really food orientated, um, completely focused on food. They, they give up on the females and they start going back to their bachelor packs about mid December, as far as around here. And, uh, that's why, I mean, I, I hunt around a lot of areas, you know, where there's Cook County and, uh, uh, Will County have a lot of forest preserves where they're completely unhuntable. And, uh, as a deer grows and the herd grows, you know, they'll push each other out. One might travel five, 10 miles. So there's a deer that's never been seen by anybody, you know, and it's like, those are the ones that I wish, you know, you kind of wish you hold your tag for and hunt them till the end and everything. So that's my strategy is basically I, I hunt food plots right now. I do the mock scrapes and I hunt mock scrapes until about the peak of the rut from the peak of the rut. I start following the does, uh, the does are that's, that's why I think those are a lot smarter than bucks because bucks are thinking with their hormones. You know, the does aren't really like that. They're the same. They're the same animal all year long. They're the same smart. They don't, you're not going to fool a doe, you know? So if you can, if you can get on them and really kind of, if you got a good herd of does, then there's no telling what, what you could pull. Oh yeah. What about you personally, man? How do you, you know, with how much you hunt, you run yourself down too, just like those bucks. How do you stay on top of your, how do you stay on top of your fitness in these later whitetail seasons, man? Cause you're, you're pretty jacked dude. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I try <laughs> mostly climbing tree stands and setting them up. <laughs> and, and, I, well, I screw something in with the other, you know what I mean? And but, chickens. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, I try to just, I, you got to stay healthy because, uh, got to keep your heart healthy and everything. I want to chase these animals as long as I can. And I don't want to, you know, pass it on, pass the torch on and until I absolutely have to, you know what I mean? So I try to stay as fit as possible. All my workouts kind of, you know, go around daily, daily routines, as opposed to bodybuilding or trying to build muscle. I just look for functionability. Um, I'll, I'll do drag bags, you know, pull-ups, squats, all that stuff, deadlift, just, you know, basically motions, uh, lifting a deer into the back of the truck or dragging them out of a gully, stuff like that. And, uh, absolutely. And I eat, like I said, I eat what I kill and, um, I live in a good area. I mean, our nutrition is outstanding for these deer. So you're really getting a clean meat. And, um, I, uh, I'm always looking up new recipes and everything and trying to stay away from hormone meat and, uh, farmed meat and all that stuff. So it really kind of puts a new perspective on your nutrition, you know, and it's like, you know, all the way down to my body odor. I don't eat onions, you know, during the hunting season. I don't eat certain things just so I don't smell in case I happen to sweat. You know what I mean? So it's, it, it all depends on what time of the year. Right now I put, I try to put a little fat on me so I can be a little extra warm in the, in the stand for the late season. So I got a little extra, so I don't, you know, I, I eat like whatever, but, uh, Yep. During seasons, there ain't nothing like being out of shape and having to drag a 300 pound deer. I'll tell you that. Yeah, it'd be a different ball game. Right. That's what Luke and I are doing too. Just a little extra to keep us warm. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. Exactly. Ain't, no, ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Part of the plan. Part yeah. of the plan. Very calculated. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of passing on the torch, man, congrats on the little one that you have coming, coming soon, man. As soon as that becomes part of your, 
part of your hunting journey, man. There's nothing like it. Um, you saw, I took my, my oldest for her first hunt, her first sit, uh, last week. And man, I'm, I'm excited for you to do that. That's a whole different part of the, the journey there. Oh, I can't wait. We're trying to, my woman's got her tag still and trying to pass it on through the, uh, I guess through the womb, you know, <laughs> see if she can't see if she can't put her down. We found a, uh, the other day we found our first, she found her first shed since she's been pregnant and all that when we were putting up a stand and everything. So that was, it's been little good lucks here and there. So I'm really hoping it turns out and if she hates hunting, so be it. That sounds about right anyway, but she's going to go oh. kill a giant nine months pregnant, man. Oh, that's another, that, you know, it's, it's like, is that, is that a good thing? She's going to be trying to hunt my deer too. So it is what <laughs> I can't wait. That's about the only person that I would let, you know, take my target bucks. That's a different kind of, you're kind of living vicariously through them at that point. And, right. You know, sleep in, send them out in the early, in the early hunts. <laughs> yeah. It's, I've got a two year old and a fuck on even that 14 month or 14 week old now. And so my boy's not old enough yet. And I'm just, that's watching Carter. And then we've taken with Perry, we've taken his, my uh, nephew out and, sitting in the blind. It's just, it's so much fun. And now Perry's been taking Jonah out a ton and he's all fired up for it. So I'm just waiting for Perry to put one down. Like Jonah will actually sit there and, and hunt, right? He can sit in the ground blind and be quiet. And act, you know, the first time we took him out there, he just, you knew you weren't going to see anything. It was just about getting him out. But now he's at the age where he can actually, you know, participate in the overall experience. And it's just, you know, I, I have those memories of being young and, and, being around the hunters and in the camp and when somebody kills something, it's just like, it's so cool to pass that on. And when you talk about that, I think that's in our DNA too, right? It's, it's the, the community and the, the camp around it and sharing the experience and being able to bring the next generation up. It's just, it's incredible. Very whole, very wholesome. Definitely a, a breath of fresh air in this, uh, <clears throat> it's a crazy world, but yeah. Uh, one of the safer things to do these days and ain't nothing wrong with that completely yeah i think it's it's just grounding you know that's what we found with the team right is like it's rare that you could grab 400 people from across the country and have such high caliber individuals but there's something about hunting and fitness and people being that are passionate about it uh, that just attracts a high value individual and it's been really cool to see with what we're we're growing and the folks that we have as part of it and the relationships that are just forming nationwide it's cool as shit i love it all right absolutely absolutely yeah we're stoked to have you be a part of it man and happy to have you on the team oh man i couldn't ask to be with a better group of guys and like-minded people i love it honored thank you guys hell yeah now I'm just jonesing to get out on a hunt with you, man. That's where, like, it's cool being able to build the relationships through the Zoom calls and the virtual stuff and podcasts. But man, when you get when you get the boys in camp, like, it's just next level. You know, it's it's so much fun. And that's the other thing is it's been crazy when we get this, you know, a group of guys and gals from across the country who have never met. It's like everybody's been best friends for ten years. You know, it's just it's fun as hell. I love it. Oh, absolutely. I feel I feel the same way. The great equalizer. Oh yeah, definitely uh, make you feel human real quick. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, cool, dude. We appreciate you jumping on with us, man. You got any uh, whitetail words of wisdom for us before we wrap this one up? Oh, 
just hung on. I guess never, <laughs> never, never give up, never get discouraged, and uh, you know everything happens for a reason. So if you if you miss one one season or you don't luck out on one one season, it's probably you know meant to be that way, and you might come back as uh, two hundred and a couple more. So <laughs> that's what I'll keep telling myself, man. Absolutely, <laughs> good win next year. Can't lose. That's awesome. Cody, where can folks uh, find you on Instagram if they want to look you up or shoot you a message or anything like that? Uh, my Instagram is uh, Tarzan Rowe. Um, I'm on there absolutely frequently. Public profile. Everyone's welcome to shoot me a message. Got any questions or just want to follow for some of my nonsense? Absolutely, more than welcome. Yeah, <laughs> oh, uh, under, under Tarzan underscore Rowe. Awesome. We got any closing thoughts, Luke? The arrows in the air, you got a chance. Aim for the jugular. <laughs> yeah, shoot him in the jugular. <laughs> hey, scared arrows don't kill deer. It's true, right. and you know, I, you, you talked about you know forty sits. Like a lot of guys go out and they'll sit two or three times and get discouraged. And like, especially for whitetails, like it takes time. I mean, any hunting, you know, like in most of the. I've had a couple of hunts that were nice and it, it happened quick, but a lot of times it's when you are ready to quit and you're ready to leave. That's when it actually comes together. That's when it happens when you're least expecting it, when you're getting tired, when you're, you know, on a mule deer stall or a mule deer hunt and you're starting to look at your feet, right. Or you're tired of sitting and you're going to leave the stand early, you know, an hour before light, you start packing up or last light. And that's when the big boy walks in. Right. So just like you said, just staying after it, you know, understanding that this shit changes in a second. And that's why we love it. If it was easy, we wouldn't do it. It'd be fun for a season. And then we'd be like, yeah, I don't, I don't just want to shoot them. You know, the hunting is what's fun and falling in love with the process, which I think comes with the experience and the age, because I used to be, if I didn't kill a deer, you know, it was a failure versus now if I'm in the space, if I'm having experiences, if I'm experiencing new country, like that's, that's the, the reward and then just you know being able to take an animal at the end is just icing for the whole the whole thing so just perspective i think really matters especially for new hunters they can get really discouraged really quickly oh absolutely that's all I awesome got. yeah appreciate it cody looking forward to more episodes more content doing more stuff with you man and happy to know you and looking forward to following the rest of your season till luke and i get to shake your hand in person oh i can't wait <laughs> I'm talking to you guys. Absolutely. Hopefully I got some uh, more success stories by the next time we talk and, you know, eventually, eventually we'll, uh, we'll do some renovating in your houses and get your walls looking right. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. Appreciate it, dude. And listeners, Absolutely. as always, we appreciate the hell to you guys and we'll talk to you next week.